0: the world's biggest semiconductor chip maker can't rest on its laurels. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Intel has been a high-tech powerhouse for almost 50 years. Its chips, controllers, processors, and integrated circuits are found in many, if not most, of the world's computing devices. Revenues last year were nearly $56 billion. Back in 2007, though, the company saw itself as lagging in some key areas. It was no longer considered world-class in reliability, customer responsiveness, and control of supply chain costs. So Intel embarked on an aggressive program to change that. It put into place strict performance metrics, benchmarked itself against the competition, and set out to improve operations across the board. We'll talk today about how those goals were accomplished in my conversation with Sharon Hall, Director of Equipment Planning and Procurement, as well as Intel Resale Corporation. Sharon reveals how the company transformed itself to the point where it is once again being designated a supply chain to admire – by supply Chain Insights. And we'll hear a bit about Sharon's own story of how she came into the world of high-tech supply chains. So here is my conversation with Sharon Hall. Sharon Hall, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Bob. Happy to be here.
0: Thanks for sitting down and talking to us a little bit about Intel and its designation, once again, as a so-called supply chain to admire from Supply Chain Insights. I believe I congratulated you on that in the past. I'd like to do so again.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to accept that on behalf of the thousands of supply chain professionals here at Intel.
0: So let's hear the story again as to how the world's largest semiconductor manufacturer undertook a particular type of supply chain transformation and how that's kind of guided your identity going forward. Just from the start, kind of take me back to the beginning of what you consider to be this sort of beginning of this effort. When was it and what were the main goals that you had in mind?
1: The journey actually started, or where I'd say we had a deliberate focus across all of the different supply chain organizations was actually back in 2007, when Brian Kurzanich, who's our current CEO, was the Chief Supply Chain Officer at Intel. And he really looked at delivering Intel's vision through the world's best supply chain. And to do that, it required technology leadership, So we have to continue to extend our leadership through innovation. It required manufacturing scale, so taking advantage of our global factory network where we can make significant investments uh, because the semiconductor industry is extremely capital intense and we have the scale to deliver. The third area was around agility and a responsive supply chain. So making sure that we have a supply chain that can deliver whatever our customers want when they want it. And really that takes into account what I think Laura refers to around strength and resiliency in her supply chains to admire. And then the last, which is probably one of the areas that most of the supply chain professionals, as well as Intel employees are proud of, is doing the first three in a social responsible manner. So we care for our our planet and its people while delivering great products?
0: All right, so why then? is it any coincidence that you started this initiative at the time when the economy was basically you know in the trough uh, for everybody? Uh, was that a factor or was there something else that led you to believe that it was time for a change?
1: Well, Brian, if you're familiar with his background, he he came up through the manufacturing ranks and I think you know looking at supply chain, it's just one end-to-end manufacturing process or one process. And so he set out around an operational excellence, pretty much, that we had to get our house in order internally so that we could respond and deliver the supply chain capabilities that were necessary for Intel to grow uh, into both the core, you know, having the CAGR that we expected as well as going into new and emerging markets. But there were some areas where, honestly, being reflective on how we were performing, we weren't world-class. So looking at benchmarks with other comparable semiconductor companies as well as just different industries, we looked at our responsiveness and reliability. We looked at our collaboration, uh, and that was tied to around order fulfillment just our supply chain cost is a percentage of revenue and then increase visibility um, and self-service when we talk about just customers' ability to help and responsiveness. And across those different areas that I shared, you know, we really started measuring in 2008. So you recall I mentioned that we started our journey, say, in 2007. 2008 is where we really, through the benchmarking and or just, understanding our current performance, we put ourselves on a path to drive improvements. And in the case of responsiveness and reliability, responsiveness, we had a 78% improvement over a five-year period. And then for perfect order performance, so the reliability aspects, a so 32% performance within that five-year period. So it really comes down to you get what you measure. So we really tried to understand some of the key supply chain metrics, and then we we focused and dedicated ourselves to driving those improvements internally.
0: Well, I want to address some of those metrics in a moment, but I'm just wondering how important was it that Brian was, in fact, a former chief supply chain officer? Was that essential to this going forward in the way that it did?
1: Not necessarily. The way our supply chain organization is set up, and I know one of the things that has talked to is structure. We effectively have supply chain all reports into our technology manufacturing group, but it's represented by a customer planning and fulfillment and logistics organization that's managed by Tony Romero. And then our global supply management organization is co-led by Bob Bruck and Jackie Sturm. And then we have an IT organization, our supply chain IT. So obviously having end-to-end supply chain processes and the, the analytics and IT capabilities that bring that all together are essential. We, we look at those for leaders as really helping shape and drive and executing the strategy that they collectively worked
0: with Brian on. It also raises the potential in a company of your size. I mean, clearly you have to have these numbers of individuals to handle what is an enormous task, and yet you also create the possibility for siloed effort for each of these individuals kind of going in their own direction. How did you make sure that everybody was on the same page?
1: Clearly, for an organization this large, it required the commitment of the leadership at the top. We had a multi-year strategy, so each group understood the effective metrics that were important and what we were working on, and then that constancy of purpose and commitment, because we knew this was a multi-year journey. This wasn't a one, you know, one-year cycle in learning. We had to to iterate through that, but it really requires cross-functional decision making. So where we saw those decisions coming together and or key milestones and requirements, those leaders were committed to and or participated in decision making structures that helped support. A one, you know, one supply chain goal. The other is, uh, I mentioned the supply chain IT, but we really looked for places where we could integrate end to end processes and or just have clear roles and responsibilities and handoffs so that we could execute across our large supply chain. Are we perfect? Absolutely not, right? The, as the dynamics of the supply chain shift, we are constantly iterating and evolving the decision-making structure and or making clear when we start working on programs that uh, what used to be, in some cases, an afterthought, we have our supply chain professionals at the forefront are very clear on who's the decision-maker and or, you know, what are the upstream and downstream interdependencies to drive success. We are a very networked or matrixed organization.
0: How often did you get all those individuals in the same room then and now, or for that matter, is it even important to do so?
1: Uh, Those individuals are in the room all the time together, and I say the virtual room because we're a global supply chain, but we have weekly meetings throughout, depending on what problems or issues we're working through that require both partnership and participation as well as decision-making. So I can look at my calendar any week and we'll be interacting and see these individuals, uh, as well as myself and my peers, working through problems, not in silos, but collaborating to ensure the best supply chain outcome and capabilities for Intel.
0: Okay, you talked about benchmarking. Where did you get your benchmarks from?
1: You know, we have a variety of benchmarks and and or different analysts that we work with. But one of the benefits of working with Laura and Supply Chain Insights, as well as we work with some other analysts, we're able to get their insight and or inquiry into companies where we may not be able to benchmark in depth. But we bring in those different metrics and or try to understand where we are performing relative to within our industry is also across different industries is really important. And the other is we attend conferences and send our supply chain professionals out uh, across the world and also interacting with suppliers to understand what challenges or problems they're working through and how those solutions that may be solved in different situations might be applicable or help us rather than try to solve problems in isolation.
0: It's a competitive world, however, and I'm wondering to what extent do other semiconductor manufacturers play it? And you, too, kind of close to the vest. Did you have access to your competitors in this effort, or did you kind of have to go in a roundabout way and and maybe benchmark against other industries instead?
1: We do a combination of both. Um, Obviously, in competition, uh, we like to call it coopetition, but we have fellow travelers that uh, within the semiconductor industry there are not a lot of competitors anymore so that with the consolidation and whatnot we have to work together and partner together upstream to do the ecosystem shaping and development uh, and ensure the right R&D investments with our suppliers and the supply chain in order for us to all be successful going forward. So there is actually quite a bit of collaboration and cooperation across but it also requires being very mindful of protecting intellectual property as well as certain processes that might tip a competitive advantage.
0: You talked about key metrics. What were some of them?
1: Uh, We look at a whole variety of metrics. I mentioned a few of uh, responsiveness and reliability Uh, within our manufacturing side. We are looking at cycle time. We look at throughput from basically the time we purchased to getting Equipment up to production within the ecosystem development, we look at time to market in the procurement area where we're dealing. We're looking at the number of procurement employees to total managed skins, as well as perfect order management for procurement. There's a very long list of metrics. So uh, depending on the area that we are benchmarking, we we dial that in based on the area that we're trying to focus.
0: How does everybody know how they're doing? Like, what is the form in which you uh, display these key performance indicators so that the organization as a whole knows exactly what's going on and what's to be done?
1: Yeah, so at at the highest level, and i I mentioned this when I spoke at the Supply Chain Insight conference, we use basically five tenants that we we manage our matrix to, and that is cost, quality availability, technology, and sustainability. So within that umbrella, it's where we have metrics in that drill down based on the sort of functional area of business that we're working, as well as we have either core or mature areas of our supply chain where certain metrics apply, as whereas well when we're going into emerging or we're developing and shaping a supply chain, uh, it may be premature to have those mature metrics in place, in which case we're looking at, you know, innovation and or revenue growth and time to market.
0: I'm just wondering if there's an interesting way that you have a visualizing or pushing out the results, the the, the degree to which you are adhering to these metrics, so that people can kind of see at a glance without having to look at a ton of different reports to understand exactly the progress that everyone's making. That's
1: a good question. And again, I'd like to say that we have everything dialed into a massive control tower and dashboard, but we do have that for certain areas of our business, and we have regular quarterly tied to our, our annual or excuse me our quarterly reporting, we have quarterly group syncs where the different leaders that I mentioned, Ta- Tony, Bob and Jackie are sharing the specific metrics for our areas of business that are driving the supply chain strategy. So we very clearly have visuals that are both available to employees on websites and/or based on certain reporting through our analytics. They have access into metrics that are appropriate for their area of focus and the individual employee's deliverables.
0: So you'll excuse me if I say that you're making all this sound awfully easy. Uh, what were what were the biggest challenges or the biggest challenge that you faced along the way?
1: The biggest challenge I think we've faced along the way. I, I actually am going to give you two. I think information flow and communication. You know, so you mentioned were through a highly matrixed organization and a very large supply chain, how do you get the signal and information to the, the people who need to know? So we continue to work on methods of communication, whether that's through integrated tools to just emailing and, and sensing and getting information to into the hands, basically real time where we can. The other piece that I spoke on at the Supply Chain Insights Conference was around our people talent. So As the supply chain profession itself and as supply chain becomes more and more critical across different industries as being basically uh, an enabler of corporate strategy, we continue to work with our people talent to ensure that we have the folks that not only have the skills and capability, but the wherewithal to have a seat at the table with their customers and partners at the companies that we work
0: with. These are human beings, though, and human beings can be adverse to change even in the best of circumstances. Did you have any challenges in bringing everybody along on this journey?
1: To some extent, yes, but I think the supply chain professionals that have been on this journey with us sort of throughout, as well as those that continue to be excited about where we're going, we're energized and excited about the opportunities as well as invigorated by the the sheer challenge. As we go into some of these areas and I, I would, I'm not sitting here and I don't want to sit here and say it's easy. It's not, but it's that challenge and that conviction that we have knowing that supply chain can actually help our corporation deliver the growth that we need and or the great products that we're looking for to deliver. That's what excites me every day and, and makes me want to come, you know, fight the battle and work through the challenges that we have with not only our internal partners, but working with suppliers and the different regulatory bodies that we have to work through across the globe.
0: You know, no matter how much you strive to bring down your lead time, your manufacturing lead time, it's there all the same. It's just built into the nature of your product. So what do you consider to be the biggest effort? Or the, where do you put your emphasis? Do you put it on getting the forecast right or do you put it on being able to f- be flexible and change according to actual market conditions that might have not been anticipated in that forecast?
1: That would be the second. We We know that every forecast is wrong from the time that the ink drives. And one of the things that we are continuing to focus on, and specifically within our customer planning and fulfillment group, is looking at how we do our forecasting. Our core product, we were able to do a lot of our planning with a homogeneous type set of products. And now as we've built out different SKUs, it's a it has a much different heterogeneous profile, in which case, That some of the methods and analytics that we used in the past are not sufficient moving forward. So we're adapting. And absolutely, it has to be the notion that it's going to be accurate is going to be a very frustrating for a supply chain organization. So we very much focus on the adaptability and or the ability to respond quickly, whether it's up, down, sideways, and ensure that we have the scale based on what the market desires.
0: What about the journey of Intel itself? I mean, it seems like you are, to a certain extent, trying to redefine a little bit about what the company is. You're not just a a commodity producer of chips. You want to be something more than that. How has the whole way in which Intel views itself changed, and how is that affecting your supply chain transformation efforts?
1: So with Brian Krasanich coming on as CEO, we've set out a vision for ourselves as Basically, if it computes, it computes best with Intel. And with that, we're going into markets and or markets that have dynamics that our supply chain wasn't necessarily used to operating in. So we have to flex and continue to be an enabler of that corporate strategy. And what I think is great about having Brian, and I think you asked me, this a little earlier, I think his appreciation and or understanding of how supply chain can be that enabler, he actually puts a tremendous amount of trust and or a high expectation in the supply chain to be able to deliver so that Intel can grow and go into these new markets, whether it's the Internet of Things, whether it's in mobility, the server, building that out, as well as the software and solutions and security that we're in today.
0: Sharon, can we talk about you? For a moment, I'm interested in how you got to where you are today. When did you first find yourself interested in this whole area of supply chain? How'd you get into the business? Kind of, what was your journey to to, to now?
1: Yeah, I would like to say that I came fresh out of school and knew exactly what I wanted to do, but that would not be true either. Uh, I actually started out of college as a financial planner for an insurance company in the Seattle, Washington area, and what I found very quickly sometimes. You need jobs that help you find out what you don't want to do, and that was very much one of those. And then from there, I went and worked for the Department of Energy, and I worked in the Contractor Industrial Relations Organization. So we were responsible for basically managing the contractors that were had the MA contracts for the Department of Energy at the Hanford site in Washington. And I think it was there where I had the, the customer-to-supplier relationship that really intrigued me and I found the collaboration and or the partnership working as sort of a customer and a supplier relationship, as well as doing negotiations very uh, rewarding. And then from there, my uh, husband, we relocated down to the Phoenix area, and it was there where I started working for Intel Corporation. And I was managing equipment suppliers tied to our manufacturing process technology, and I did that for many years and then I've just progressed through supply chain with a variety of different responsibilities from operations to managing our risk and controls and our environmental social governance programs, as well as organizational development for supply chain.
0: Yeah, it's funny how few people, uh, uh, maybe that's changing now, but how few few people in supply chain today really started out even knowing what it was (laughs) and they just sort of uh, kind of drift into it one way or another. did you encounter, in the course of your journey, any particular obstacles as a woman in this business?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. I probably would be foolish to say no that I didn't. But I have always been of the mind that working hard and or delivering results through just doing the best that I could do, regardless of being male and female, helped me you know, achieve where I'm at today. The thing that I find very refreshing, and I actually sponsor or help here at Intel with some of the different women initiatives, because within the tech industry, I actually have to say I was ignorant until some of the information being shared and published transparently. I was very familiar with Intel because Intel has actually been publishing our performance or our metrics around diversity for the last 10 years. But I was actually shocked when it became more transparent or you see more companies actually sharing that. So I think the conversation is a good one, but I'd like to to think that all individuals sort of regardless of gender and or uh, ethnicity are able to be included in solving and driving the best solutions for whatever their company or uh, the capabilities that they're looking for.
0: You said at Supply Chain Insights, the dirty secret of the technology industry is that we are not very good at diversity.
1: So, yeah, I had mentioned that Intel, we are focused on diversity. And I think what's exciting to me is seeing with Intel taking a leadership position and really putting information out there and helping other companies understand how we're looking at diversity and inclusion, the industry itself, one, is having a conversation, which is great and are debating and are trying to understand how to work and we're seeing movement. So I think you'll see over the next five years, cause that's actually where our goal is, a 2020 goal that Brian announced at CES this year to be at full representation across all of the categories that we focus on. But what's exciting to me is that conversation is shifting from a numbers to more around inclusion and the business case for why women is, women are buying more than men the products that we're selling. And so when you talk about designing and or uh, creating products that are for the largest percentage of a consumer population, there's a real business case for why you want women and or an inclusive environment to get the best ideas and best products
0: out there. Sharon, I want to thank you so much for sitting down with us and talking about the Intel story, why you guys are a supply chain to admire and where you might be going forward from this. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Bob. It was my pleasure. That was my conversation with Sharon Hall of Intel talking about how the company transformed its supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos and access all of our other content including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Happy New Year, and see you next time.